Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. All praise be to Allah, the Lord of the Worlds. Over 100 episodes, almost 40 different ethnic backgrounds, living in almost 30 different countries. In just two seasons, the Niqabi Diaries podcast has brought you the stories of Muslim women across the globe. Women united in sisterhood by their commitment to the Deen of Islam. Welcome to season three of the Naqabi Diaries podcast, where, inshallah, we will continue to bring you the stories of the women behind the veil. The Naqabi Diaries, our experiences, our perspectives, our voices. I'm your host, Samar, and thank you for listening. Please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. All praise be to Allah, the Lord of the Worlds. Over 100 episodes almost 40 different ethnic backgrounds, living in almost 30 different countries. In just two seasons, the Niqabi Diaries podcast has brought you the stories of Muslim women across the globe. Women united in sisterhood by their commitment to the Deen of Islam. Welcome to season three of the Niqabi Diaries podcast, where, inshallah, we will continue to bring you the stories of the women behind the veil. The Niqabi Diaries, our experiences, our perspectives, our voices. I'm your host Samar and thank you for listening. Please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to season three of the Naqabi Diaries. I'm your host Samar and today we have with us sister Umm Nusayba. Sister could you please introduce yourself for the listeners and tell us a little bit about what you do inshallah. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. My name is Um Nasiba and I'm the founder of Birthing One Muslim. Birthing One Muslim is a community that we are creating for um, Muslim women to gain knowledge, to find support during the perinatal stage. So that is um, pregnancy, birth and beyond, inshallah ta'ala. We'll listen to a little bit more about that later on in the session, inshallah. But for now, sister, could you please share with us some of your Islamic background and how you came to be wearing the niqab, inshallah? And so, alhamdulillah, I was um, born into Islam, alhamdulillah. But my grandfather actually reverted to Islam. Um, he was, he was a, he used to practice um, like Yoruba traditional religions. Um, so a lot of um, ancestral worship. I don't really know the like nitty gritty of what they actually practice and all that type of stuff, but I know it's shirk. So that, that's what we used to do. But alhamdulillah, um, he was guided to Islam. And then from there, our family has been Muslim. My dad is Muslim, but my mom isn't Muslim. So that's the dynamic that I grew up in. May Allah guide her. Um, so yeah, I... My journey to Niqab is a quite a long, <laughs> long journey, alhamdulillah. I, I started wearing hijab when I was around 14, 15. Um, in, and funnily enough, I've always been a very, like, even from a young age, being like in a household where my dad was Muslim and my mom was Christian, I was the one that kind of sparked, sparked the re- religiosity in our household to an extent because when I was younger, so like, from when I was like seven years old I used to like be really interested in learning about like religion and God and all these type of things because obviously being an I um someone who's Nigerian like you believe in God no matter what whether yeah. you're Muslim Christian whatever yeah, like, you believe in God so um I just was really interested and at that time when I was younger my my both my parents weren't very religious so 
I had an auntie that used to go to church near my house and I used to go to church with her because <laughs> so, I was curious I was like oh can I go to church I think we went to like a holy communion or something like that and I was just interested from there I was like okay what is all this let I want to go and see and my mom was like okay fine my dad was fine with it they were just like okay do what you want to do type of thing so I went for like a couple of years and then for some reason I think I just got bored because it's a bit it was a Catholic church, so and it was quite a strict Catholic church. So there wasn't it wasn't very exciting. It was kind of boring. So I was just like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. And they weren't really explaining about who's God, what is none nothing like that. It was more like I don't know. I, really, I don't even remember what they were about. But so I stopped doing that. And then by that time, Alhamdulillah, like uh, my dad started to become more religious. I think by that time he went to Hajj again or Umrah or something like that. So after that time, he became more religious and even my mom became more practicing within her Christianity. And then I um, and then I had one uncle, may Allah have mercy on him. He was really pushing my dad to like get us into a madrasa, get us learning about the deen um, and all those type of things. So alhamdulillah, and he was always like really, really kind to us and, you know, just telling us about Islam and to pray and wear hijab and all this type of thing. So alhamdulillah, may Allah have mercy on him. Um, he passed away recently. So, um, yeah, so I started um, going to madrasa and learning more about the hijab. And I had this really, really love for the hijab. But I thought it was something very distant from me because as a, someone who was Nigerian and where I lived, I didn't know many, I didn't see people like me wearing hijab. So people are wearing hijab in my community. I couldn't relate to them. So, and at the time I was like really new to like Islam and learning about Islam so I was just like no no it's something far from me but I always had an interest in women wearing niqab alhamdulillah so fast forward to when I had the interest in women wearing niqab I would say maybe like 10 11 12 that type of stuff I don't know I think it's definitely secondary school I can remember secondary school so like 12 you're like 10 12 definitely secondary school I've always had like an interest in women wearing niqab and I thought it was so beautiful like the way they were dressing but I didn't know much about it so I was thinking okay and it's hijab but funny enough hijab was the thing that helped me to start practicing because I was like what is this hijab that people are wearing why do we wear it because when we used to ask in madrasa the the answers they used to give us were they were really strange at the time it was really strange at the time and so I was like what's all this so I did my own research and I was like okay you wear hijab because you know you want to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's the way it goes back to you all that type of stuff and these are the conditions of the hijab and um so slowly slowly I I was because you know on YouTube you know the algorithm how it works so I was I was watching a um, hijab tutorials, not tutorials. I was watching hijab videos okay. about hijab, like okay, what are the conditions? Why you should wear it? All that type of stuff. And so obviously other Islamic videos were coming up. So then I used to um, see videos about reminders about you know who Allah is, um, the day of judgment, um, you know fearing Allah, having hope in Allah, all these iman boosters and stuff, and it really intrigued me. And so then I was like, okay, I don't want to like, I don't want to disobey Allah, like all this thing all this stuff Allah has done for me I don't want to disobey him and then so I had the intention of wearing it and so I would like put it on take it off put it on take it off and alhamdulillah Allah like throughout my journey with Nafad Allah has placed really good friends around me like even in secondary school alhamdulillah I went to secondary school where I had a lot of Muslims like even in my year group there was a lot of Muslims so 
and a lot of Muslim sisters that wore hijab because they would be like to me um Zainab you can be like oh this you can't do this like you can't be like flip, like one day wearing hijab next day you're not wearing hijab and they did it really nicely it wasn't like an attack or anything it was really really kind they're like okay mm-hmm. if you want to wear it like you should wear it if you don't want to wear it don't wear it was really nice alhamdulillah so then um I thought I went hijab in secondary school uh how much was I like 14 and like full time I remember it was before my math GCSE <laughs> I remember and I was like you know what I can't keep on going back and forth like I believe like this thing is wajib because yeah. even through my you know when you're like on the internet you're just going through things you find things that are just strange some people say no it's not wajib even though that basis is not correct at all and so I, I said to myself okay I believe this is something I should do and um I don't want to like I was like I don't want to die like not wearing hijab so I was like okay let me wear hijab and so I put on the hijab like properly because before I was wearing it like more like a um, turban so I put the hijab on properly and literally like my mom was like what is all this she was so shocked. Oh, yeah. She literally thought, like, because I remember the day I walked out of the house, like, because for me, when I'm taking a change, I can't tell anyone. I don't talk to people along the journey. Yeah. So she didn't see me, like, slowly, slowly, like, going into the hijab, going one more into Islam and stuff like that. Um, Because my dad was always advising, even my mom was always advising us to pray. So yeah. it wasn't like, okay, it wasn't anything out of the normal for me to, like, pray and do all those things. But she didn't see that I was, like, you know, sitting down, making notes on lectures, learning about Islam. She didn't see all that type of stuff. So it was a big shock to her. And so I remember going out of the house, like going to the library one day and she saw me with the hijab on and she literally followed me to the library. And she was like, okay, what is all this? Like, I'm so confused. <laughs> like, what's going on? Is somebody pressuring you to do it? Like, what's this? I was like, no, I just, I want to do this. It's something I want to do. And obviously at the time, all my friends were Muslim as well. So she was just like, okay, what's going on? And so, alhamdulillah, um, that didn't last too long. She wasn't too concerned about that. And then what happened after that? So then I was slowly, slowly, like, trying to change my wardrobe, trying to make it more modest. I was finding out more about, like, how to dress modestly. And alhamdulillah, my best, my best friend in secondary school, she was so supportive. She used to, we used to go to, like, um, Whitechapel and go and look at hijabs. And I remember one time, because I, I was really, really fascinated with jilbab, and like, I was like, send her picture. Like, oh, I want to dress like this. I want to dress like this. I want to dress like this. Okay, let's go look for Jibba. Because at the time, I didn't even know where to start because I didn't have a mother who was Muslim to like hold my hand and be like, okay, if you want to dress like this, this is where we go. Type of thing. So I had to figure out all by myself. Even wearing the hijab, I had to figure that out all by myself. Like, because I didn't know. I literally was YouTube was like my best friend. Okay, how do you tie it? How do you tie it to make yeah. it not look like this? How do you tie it to make it look like that? It's just like crazy. But yeah, alhamdulillah. So, she took me to White Chapel. I got the hijab. I got a jilbab, and then I was just like, that, "That's when I felt so, so at peace." When I put that jilbab, I was like, "Wow!" So, how old was you when you first put on the jilbab? I was like fifteen. Wow, mashallah. Yeah, I was fifteen, but okay. I didn't put it on completely until I was sixteen. Okay. I put it on when I was sixteen. I put jilbab on when I was sixteen. Alhamdulillah. And then, even then, like that was a big 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 shock for my parents like they were like okay what is all this like this is not Saudi Arabia you know the whole the whole yeah. jargon like yeah. oh no you're not Somali and I'm just thinking there's people in Nigeria even people within my family that were just like yeah. um what's going on here like you know what's going on like no this is the correct way to have a hijab like 
you know Allah is not just you know it's not Islam is not just restricted to Saudi Arabia Islam is for everywhere like so and they're like oh what about um you know getting a job I was like even I don't know where like Allah places in my heart like I was just like if they don't accept me for my hijab then I'm gonna leave like I don't want to be in a place where I have to sacrifice my religion or I have to feel uncomfortable and so I was just very headstrong and I think because I knew my intentions were very um, clear. I knew why I was doing it. I was doing it because I want, I believed in Allah and I wanted to worship him the way he wanted me to worship him. So, and I think knowledge and constantly, at that time I was constantly seeking knowledge, constantly seeking out, you know, halakai, constantly seeking out lectures, just really arming myself with knowledge so that when people ask me why I'm wearing the hijab, I can tell them bang, 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 bang. Like, I can tell them exactly why. And that brought me comfort in my decision as well. Alhamdulillah, it brought me so much comfort in my decision. And so um, at the time, I I don't know how I even started. I think my curiosity for Nesfab was always there. Even before I started wearing hijab, I, there was one day I made a, I made a Nesfab out of like a hijab because I saw tutorials on YouTube about how you can do it with a hijab. And I just went out just to see what it was like, how people react to me. And I just felt so like beautiful. I felt just so amazing putting it on. And so, so I was this time. Yeah, this was secondary school, but I didn't okay. even I didn't even wear hijab at that point. I was just oh, trying yeah. it out the hijab and the hijab, just to see what it was like, how it would feel. So when you started wearing the jilbab and tried trying it out and wear the hijab, was you still wearing? Um, the jilbab to secondary school or like was that like was that allowed in your school at all I um when I was in secondary school I actually didn't wear um I didn't I only wore hijab I didn't wear a baya or anything like that um I did try to change my trousers like make sure they were loose and like wear longer coats and stuff like that but at that time I didn't really understand like uh, the correct hijab I didn't really understand that your the shape of your body should be covered I just understood that, okay, I have to cover my head. I have to cover my hair and my neck. That's why I understood at that time. And I didn't really feel confident because I already knew that there was a conflict with me wearing hijab. And like, my parents were like, okay, to that point, they were like, okay, this is this is enough now. Yeah, we don't need the whole like, okay, you know, wearing um, um, abayas or jilbaz or any of that. We don't need that. Hijab is enough for now. <laughs> type yeah. of thing. So it wasn't until like I did more research and... Um, into the correct hijab and learning more about the deen in general because even at the time when I was wearing hijab my salah was not even like it was I didn't even know how to pray properly at that time but I the, the hijab was I was just like I didn't even I didn't even realize the importance of the salah at that time like it was really really crazy so probably, <laughs> but it was it was it was a really interesting journey alhamdulillah and so when I started um, uh, looking, when I started to think about seriously wearing the niqab and looking into why I should wear it, um, I, I, would, I did like my trial days. And like I had a really, really close friend that she, she started practicing before me. And I used to see her in our neighborhood. We actually kind of sort of grew up together. Our, our families knew one another. Okay. Um, and she started practicing before me. And I saw her wearing jilbab and niqab in our area. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> what's this? And then I was like, oh my gosh, I want to dress like that. I really want to dress like that. And then uh, one day, I think I met her in the masjid. And I was talking to her, I was like, oh, how are you wearing the That's so amazing. Like, oh, what do your parents think? And, and no, I met her during 
Tarawih in the masjid, actually. I remember specifically, I was like, oh, because I knew her family, I knew, I forgot her name, but I knew her brother's name. So I was like, oh, it's your brother. She's like, what? I was like, how do you know this information? I was like, they remember me. Da, da, da. And then we started talking. And then she was like, yeah, I take it. I take, um, I wear it to my house and my mom doesn't like it either type of thing. So I was like, oh, I found somebody I can relate to. So she would advise me like, oh, take it like slowly, you know, be patient with them and all this type of thing. May Allah bless her. She was a support for me during the time. Because um, when I, I, when I started um, like experimenting with it, I would take it off when I, when I came near to my house. <laughs> and then I would just walk into my house because even wearing the jilbab was a big it was a big problem for my mom especially and during the times when I started wearing jilbab was like you know the time when there was that whole fitness of people going to Syria and all that type of ISIS stuff so I can understand in hindsight as a parent now like the shock like okay this is going on outside and my daughter's now, now trying to she's trying she's now dressing like these people yeah and I was like no I, I'm not anywhere near these that please okay I'm not near that so but to them it was like oh no 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 you can't dress like this like no dress dress normally and blah 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 blah. but I was like very you know when you're young you're just head I was very headstrong like no I'm not doing this time's in the dress type thing to the extent even my mom so even to the extent that my mom wouldn't even go out with me (laughs) like she was like no I'm not going out with you it really did have a big strain on our relationship um me wearing the hijab it did have a big strain on our relationship but alhamdulillah it's much better now so much better but it did at the time have a big strain on our relationship and I think some people they they don't expect the test that they will face when they start trying to like practice in general but specifically with the hijab because it, it it did blindside me but then I remember like you know the ayat in the Quran like you say you believe so we're going to test you you know so alhamdulillah in hindsight you know being patient during those trials it had its own sweetness because now my parents they don't my me went to bad and their father's nothing to them like they're so used to it now it's like that's what you wear it's your business alhamdulillah but when I started wearing the nefab I remember one specific event like I was walking home and I saw my mom and I thought she didn't recognize me yet. I thought she didn't recognize me because I'm wearing the nefab she thought she's like She's like, excuse me, what are you doing? She literally took the up off me, yeah. I was like, she was just in shock, yeah. So I just ran home. I was really close to my house as well. Yeah. So I just ran home, yeah. And I was like, I was, my heart was beating. I was, I was so scared. And I literally called my friends that lived close to me. I was like, oh my God, what happened? And she was so calm for time. She's like, don't worry, like, make the eye. It's okay. You'll be fine. And I was so scared. I was thinking, okay, these African parents of mine, what are they going to do today? yeah so alhamdulillah like it wasn't too bad like we just had a discussion about it so why you want to wear this like who did it and it's just like and it's just it was just so (laughs) now thinking about it it was quite it's quite crazy but yeah we just had a discussion about it and then I still continued not to wear the niqab like um because at that point I hadn't made a decision about wearing it or not but I still was looking into it and stuff like that and so also at the time when I started wearing um, Jilbab, I, I thought I I made it a point to find more practicing friends, more sisters around me that wore Jilbab, that wore Niqab and, you know, were trying to strive to seek knowledge. Yeah. So, alhamdulillah, I, I was able to find sisters around me just from, like, literally putting myself out there at the masjid, 
I'll go to the masjid, see a sister like that was going to bad, um, talk to her, be like, oh, sorry, this is my name. Like, oh, are there any lessons? Like, I'm really interested to find lessons. And that's how I met so many sisters, Allah Mubarak, so many sisters. And I was so blessed at the time that I started wearing jilbab and I started to practice. There were so many sisters in my area, like a similar age to me, that were wearing jilbab, wearing naqab, going to lessons. There were so many lessons. So, alhamdulillah, that was a blessing and it helped me to stay firm, like in my pursuit of wearing the naqab and, you know, gaining knowledge, learning Quran, all that type of stuff. So, alhamdulillah, definitely having good friends is so important. Like, it's so important, subhanAllah. And so, um, I started um, when I actually made the decision to wear the niqab it was actually after a talk a lesson I went to and the teacher was saying that okay because <clears throat> the sister asked the question about is the niqab wajib or something like this and he was explaining like oh the position of those that take the niqab to be wajib and I was like you know I think I agree with this position at the time I agreed with that position so I was like, okay, khalas, that's it. So I have to wear the niqab now full time. I can't be doing like up and down, round and round business. I have to wear the niqab. And so I made the decision. I was like, okay, I'm going to wear the niqab. I don't care. Whatever happens, happens. <laughs> I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. It's fine. Whatever. So I, I, I put on the niqab and I was just like, you know what? Whatever happens, happens. There'll be times when I came back home and my parents would catch me because what I do, I'll take it off before I get to my, to my house or near my house. They would catch me with the naqab or they'll ask me, oh, did you wear your naqab today? And I'm not going to lie. But okay, yeah, I yeah, did sure. wear the naqab. And they would be like, there was one time my mom was like, go bring it, go bring it. And then she cut it. She literally wow. cut my naqab. Oh, and she used to hide, they used to hide them. They used to hide them. I just used oh, to buy yeah. more. I used to buy more. But the thing is, it's funny now I can say that with smiling and joyfully. But at the time, it was so hard. It was so hard. Oh it was actually hard. I used to have to. I used to buy doubles of naqab and like, literally, it was craziness. Even now, thinking about, it, I'm reflecting about it, and I'm just like, wow, that was just mad. And there was even one time, like, I remember, like, um, they found my naqab or something like that. I think the time that my my mom cut it or my dad cut it, they were like, to me, you're not going out. You're not allowed to go outside anymore. You're not going anywhere. And I was just like, what? And literally, I had. I literally told. They took my phone away. They're like, you can't have your phone. This is that. I was just so, like, it was so hard. I was actually talking to my Quran teacher about it because at that time, like, my friends were literally like my family. Like, yeah. they were really supportive. A lot of them didn't even know, like, how much they supported me during that time. But literally, like, I would go to my Quran teacher because she wasn't too old, too much older than us. Like, so she was like a big sister. And I would tell her, and she'd be like, you know, be patient. Don't worry. Like, just make good. And it was really, really constant during that time. Alhamdulillah. And then, um, yeah, then it just, and that whole, like, trial of that just happened. Like, it was like one or two days. It wasn't even that long. My parents gave up my phone. I was going about my business. I would put my hand on. And yeah, I just went about my um, business. And then it wasn't until, like, I was in uni, like I was, I was in uni one time and I was wearing my naqab, everything. So how old were you when you started wear, wearing the naqab permanently? Was it before you started university? So when I started uni, I think it was, I started wearing the naqab like um, permanently, I think it was like a couple of months before I started uni. Yeah, it was the summer. It was that summer before I started uni because I remember the talk was during the summertime. And so then it was that summer I started wearing the naqab. So I must have been how old. Okay, so 
I thought I went to Zimbabwe when I was 16. I thought I went to Naqab when I was uh, 18. Yeah, 18. I was 18. Yeah, I was probably in Naqab when I was 18. And so I just would wear it, whatever. And at that time, literally, I would only see my parents in the house. Like, we wouldn't go out with one another. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of times, like, even my dad, my dad was with my uncle one time and they saw us on the street. They saw me on the street, yeah, wearing my Naqab. And literally, I just walked on like breathing, like 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 I didn't even see them. And they were wow. talking in uh, in Europe. I like, oh yeah, that's what she wears outside, like something. And I was just laughing. <laughs> it was obviously easy, but they didn't realize it was so funny. Yeah, I was just wearing my niqab, coming home, taking it off, blah blah blah. I didn't really speak. I spoke to my parents sometimes, but our relationship was quite strained. Yeah. Um, and so then I'll just go to uni, do what I had to do, and then it wasn't until actually I wanted to get married. <laughs> when I had to really like face up my, to that the ish the tension with my um uh jilbab and niqab for me I had kind of like Allah had made it easy for me to like kind of get over like that trauma of them taking my niqab and stuff like that yeah. so I tried to make our relationship as normal as possible in the home I still tried to like be the best child I could be in that situation yeah. and so alhamdulillah um so when I started to like want to get married and stuff, so obviously when you have a super, I had to wear my niqab. So I just yeah. put it on, whatever. My dad was looking at me like, are you all right? I just got over it. I was just like confident. I was like, you know what, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to wear my niqab. That's, that's it. One time, because um, before I got married, my, hus- my husband-to-be at the time wanted me to meet his mom. And I was like, okay, I don't really want to go there by myself. And I I want to go with my, my mom because, you know, my husband is also Nigerian, so I was like, okay, Nigerian mothers, they can, you know, yeah, communicate with one another type of thing. So I was like, okay. And so then I put on, I, I wore my niqab, and it was so weird, like, to be out with my mom in my niqab. But oh, she was, that was really, was that really the first time you'd been out with her in your niqab? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was the first time. And by that time, I probably had been wearing the niqab full time for, like, a year. So, oh, yeah. like, it was really, really strange. But because of the situation of the way I got married and the way I found, like, she was really, really happy because in that, in your back, in Nigerian culture, for you to, like, okay, go to, like, do a marriage or arrange a marriage the Islamic way is very strange. So for, like, there to be no, like, dating, to be no communication, for you to go to your father and, you know, your suitor speak to your father first, that is very strange, like, for Yoruba people I'm not like it's part of our culture in a sense some of it is part of our culture but it's lost it's they're like more westernized now like you go on a date you find your husband that's your business type of thing for the listeners who don't know much about that side of the culture could you just go a little bit into how that usually works when you're trying to look for somebody to get married like how how do you go about doing it so like normally now it's very like western so like you know how you have a boyfriend or you have someone you're getting to know because even Nigerians it's very strange in Nigeria they like shy away from the term of boyfriend yeah like they want you to court someone but like it's I don't know it's very strange but they do like a western style of things nowadays you know you have a boyfriend or you're seeing somebody and then you say okay to your parents okay this is the person I want to get married to okay they meet that person they meet their family they look into that person they still do that to an extent some most families do that um obviously the non-practicing ones this is what I'm talking about and um, they look into the family and then they decide, okay, yeah, we'll fix a date for you for a, a formal introduction. 
type of thing. So that's what they're used to. They're used to like me having that. That's what they assumed. I don't know. But okay, I'll tell a boyfriend or a partner or whatever. And then I would come to them and tell them I'm ready to get married. So the way I did it was obviously I was trying to hate the Quran and Sunnah. So I, I, though a friend of mine had someone that uh, she's like, okay, are you interested in a brother? And I was like, okay, maybe. She's like, okay, give me your dad's number so I can give it to him. So then he called my dad and was like, okay, I'm interested in, in your daughter. Can we meet each other type of thing? And literally my mom was so shocked. She was like, wow, the respect, this is so respectful. Like, this is amazing. And she she saw the fruits of Islam, like, yeah. in me. She saw the respect. She was so, like, pleased with, like, how, like, that's so respectful. You're respecting your parents and blah, 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 blah. So she saw that, okay, this is obviously doing something good. So she was like, okay. I'm not really like I'm fine with, not fine with it but she was it softened, it softened her heart alhamdulillah and then even like the way we got married like you know alhamdulillah on like the wedding day like there were so many sisters there there were so many sisters there and I remember when it was like time for Maghrib like literally everyone came and prayed it was such a big act of da'wah for like a lot of my non-Muslim family members like they were like they were shocked they were like what's this good or not and literally we all stopped we prayed our for and we continued. And you know, I think they have this assumption that like practicing people are just dull and boring. And then afterwards, they saw everyone dancing, like, you know, so just like, wait, what's going on here? Like, this is like a confusing, you know, kind of thing. And even the way my friends helped out on the day, the, how they respected my mom. and all, So she saw the fruits of this, like, of Islam, of this practices that we're doing. She saw the fruits and she was so happy. Like, she was just so happy because that's one thing with Nigerian people. They love respect. Yeah, that's one thing about African parents. They're so big on respect. Like I remember any time I used to, you know, have a meeting with a brother, like if it's like for marriage and stuff like that, and I'd take my dad with me, he'd always be impressed by like how the brothers behaved, you know, from the Islamic centre and everything and you know, just like even though he's not Muslim, the fact that I was making him a part of the whole process, he really um, you know, he really appreciated that and really liked it you could say like tell it made him like he felt like yeah he's important isn't he the dad so alhamdulillah like african prayers they're big on this respecting yeah mashallah <laughs> like i remember when the first time that um i went to meet somebody like have a meeting with a brother and i was asking my dad to come with me and um he was looking at me as like oh yeah so who is this guy and all these kind of things asking me questions and i just looked at myself like well i don't know and he kind of just looked at me like are you stupid kind of thing you know because obviously I didn't know who the person was because and this is something they're not used to like you have this way of like you know you're gonna go and meet a brother like Islamically you do it you do it like you know there's protocols you kind of follow in it it's not like a dating something so I didn't know anything about the brother but once we went he appreciated like the whole kind of process and everything alhamdulillah so yeah he started getting used to the whole kind of process so anytime that would happen like you know he became used to it and he started appreciating you know the like the way we do it and stuff like that and I think it's good because I think it helps you like bond a little bit with them they kind of learn to respect you more because of this kind of process that you have and everything and they see how things go even though it's not something that they're accustomed to but you know they can see the wisdom in it in doing things a particular way so alhamdulillah yeah yeah definitely because that's what happened with me and my mom literally that it kind of be like it kind of healed those wounds that 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 whatever happened before in terms of my hijab even after that like my mom started giving birth all the naqabs that she hid and alhamdulillah like even when I gave birth like she was like put on your hijab like here take it take it put this you know like it's the 
the way Allah changes people's hearts. Like that's why whenever I hear a sister going through it with her family, I tell her just be patient, be patient, and make a lot of dua and be like be good to them. Don't don't ever like, don't ever like um like do bad things to them or react in terms of like what they're doing. Be good to them and. Also, me as a parent, I understand now, like, where she was coming from. Obviously, I may not have done it the same way, but I understand, like, okay, your child is now all of a sudden. And the way I did it, yeah, I don't think it was obviously the best way. Like, in terms of, I didn't communicate, I just did the balance. And I, obviously, I was young, I didn't really understand, and I was trying to figure out for myself as well. So, I think it was very difficult for them to process. But now, alhamdulillah, they processed it, digested it, they're fine, like, it's not a problem. Even, like, I remember in the beginning, there was always these jokes, like, oh, why are you wearing all of this? Like, what's all this? You're sweeping the floor, blah, blah, blah. Now, I don't hear anything. I don't hear nothing. Like, nothing at all. It's just like, okay, you work in job, that's what you do. <laughs> like, even I would hear, like, like to see the 360. I remember my, one of my uncles, Um, he has some children that they wear jilbab and Nihab as well and then he was talking to my mom about it like oh I don't understand like what's going on there and my mom was like just leave them like they're doing something that is good like there's so much benefit in it I was like wow wow, wow. I, was wow. I was like is this the same is this the same person because subhanAllah like showing the respect and like that's it it's just like the way you treat your parents showing them how like Islam teaches us to respect our parents it's so important it does so much like for them in terms of being okay with you um you know changing yourself so alhamdulillah it was <laughs> it was a great it's a crazy journey but alhamdulillah that that has made it easy like it's the sweetness of the patient that's what it is it's definitely sweet alhamdulillah it just goes to show that it really is all about having patience because these things really do take time and having respect towards our parents is something that is part of the patience, you know, when you're in those situations and having those tests from them, especially like, you know, you have to really restrain yourself a lot and, you know, submit to them as well. Be humble and subhanAllah, especially in your situation, like obviously you wasn't doing anything wrong, but they're the ones trying to prevent you from practicing and everything. And your story actually, you know what it reminded me of, like when I was in school before I was Muslim and everything. I used to have friends who were um, Muslim and their parents wanted them to wear the hijab, like scarf and stuff. And it was more cultural than anything else. But I remember that they used to basically do the opposite of what you was doing. They used to go out with their scarves on. And when they get like far from their home or around the corner, whatever, then they would take them off, subhanAllah. And then, you know, when they would come back home, they would, you know, before they get to the house, they would put their scarves back on. And subhanAllah, you've lived, literally lived like the opposite of that. And you know, it just goes to show there's so many misconceptions. People think that the girls or women are forced into wearing hijab and stuff, but is you know the opposite is also true. You know, so it shouldn't be like people just assume that you know because hijab is covering and everything that everybody who wants to wear it is forced. Because there's so many sisters now, young girls especially that I know that they're not even allowed to wear hijab at all. Their parents won't let them. Subhanallah. So besides um, the kind of drama, all the dramas that you had with your parents and everything with wearing the hijab and jilbab and naqab, have you ever, have you experienced any like kind of abuse from anyone else um, for wearing the naqab at all? Oh, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, um, 
for me, I, I try to like, I just don't see when it happens anymore. I just, I've had people like shout out of their car, go back home. I've had, um, uh, what else have I had? And this is with my children as well. I've had like little kids with me and you're there shouting. I was just like, are you all right? <laughs> like, it's a bit confusing. I've had people shouting at me and my friends on the bus before. I've had, um, what else have I had? I've had somebody spit like where I was going. I've had someone call me a letterbox. I've had somebody, but I think because I lived in London, like there's a lot of weird people that you don't expect to be strange to be saying stuff. So it's just like, because I lived in London and I was out, I would say I was very like, like I, I was out a lot of places. I would be going to different places like a lot. So I would say that I was more open to, not open, but I was in, I was, what's it called? In contact with people a lot. So these things did happen, but for me, it really, it only, it only made me more like want to be a, a firmer with my hijab and it really pushed me to want to leave London. So alhamdulillah, <laughs> and I did leave London eventually. So yeah, I've had a few things, but nothing major, like no one's attacked me like physically, no one's, you know, tried to threaten me because I, I will talk, I'll be like, excuse me, can you just, go on with your life please can you move I'm not disturbing you go please <laughs> because I just think it's so unnecessary for people to say silly stuff and I don't want I don't want them to come in contact with other people like maybe an auntie or someone that's not going to say it and they think it's okay like no it's not okay you can't talk to people like that it's not okay so yeah I've had a few interactions <laughs> so have you met any sisters who they want to wear the niqab um, like you did, obviously, but they're not allowed to wear it? Um, I knew sisters, like, before, when I was starting wearing niqab, that they found it difficult. Like, they have family members that didn't want to wear it. But alhamdulillah, now they've overcome that, and they are, like, they wear the niqab. Like, it's kind of a story to me, actually. But right now, no, I don't know anybody that wants to wear niqab and their family are um, against it. Alhamdulillah, I don't know anybody and I don't think so. And what about um, sisters who have been forced to wear it? Do you know any sisters like that? I have never met one. And I know a lot of niqabis, like a lot. And I have never met one who has ever been forced by anybody to wear niqab. <laughs> like whenever I hear that narrative, I'm just like, where? how do you find these people like where have you found them because I'm a bit confused because <laughs> now I'm, I think it's it's something it's very it's hard you can't really force somebody to wear an club like because it's such a such a it's such a change like you're such a change and especially in this country it's really really like I think it's hard to find it I'm not saying it doesn't happen I don't know like that might be someone's reality but amongst practicing people I, I have not really found that to be the case but I do remember when I because I I listened to one of your podcasts before and a sister mentioned about like maybe a husband asking a wife to wear naqab and all that type of um or like encouraging her to wear naqab even that I've, I've not really seen that either I haven't really no don't think so so in your experience now you said obviously you've lived in London and now you live outside of London um, do you feel that there's a difference in how sisters who wear the hijab get treated um, between, um, compared to sisters who wear the naqab? Is there a difference, do you think? I think 
sisters who wear niqab and jilbab can even be seen in two lights. They can either be seen as, you know, like, oh, they think they're better than you, or they're either seen as, oh, wow, they must be so righteous, so virtuous, like all that. So I think it's one of the two. <clears throat> and often they're both like mistaken. Like everybody has shortcomings. Everybody has things that they're working on. And also like, why we at the end of the day we should love each other for the sake of Allah yes okay if someone's wearing um hijab a different way or a way that is may not be correct yes we would if we are able to advise that person we should advise them but it doesn't mean that I think you're a worse human being everybody's at a different stage at the end of the day so I think I think we we need to have a better understanding with one another like it's not everyone has a choice to make you're making a choice so it's important that we support one another in our journey, not judge one another and say, oh, you're this, you're that. No, support that person. Like, you never know, that person may have not been praying the day before, they just started praying. You never know, that person may not even understand what Tawheed really is. Like, you don't know where somebody is. I think it's important to, you know, advise people in accordance with the Quran and Sunnah, you know? So, I think, yeah. So have you had any experience traveling outside of the country before with the niqab on? Oh, I've never, I haven't traveled outside of the country wearing niqab before. <laughs> no, but I haven't. Have you done any work with the niqab on at all? I have, I used to tutor um, children and teach Quran. So that was a job that I could wear niqab with. So it wasn't a big deal. But besides that, no, I haven't. I haven't, no. So can you tell us about your business, Birthing While Muslim, and what is it that made you want to start it, and what, what is it about, really? Um, it's, okay, so alhamdulillah, um, but I've always loved birth, I've always loved um, pregnancy, um, like young children, I've always been very interested in that from a young age, even before I was married. Like, I used to be interested in watching, like, maternity things, medical things. I've always been very interested in that type of, that type of sector. And when it came to wanting to be, maybe going to become a midwife, I was like, no, it's not really for me. Like, the responsibility is, for me, it's too much. It's too much of a responsibility. And so I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And plus hijab, I was just like, no, I can't, I can't go into um, midwifery with my hijab. I don't feel comfortable doing that and so I was like okay I left that I parked that for a second and I thought and so then I went into um, early childhood um, studies so that's what I studied at university for some time and then um, I, I didn't like that then I got married and had my own kids and the reality of pregnancy really really um, hit me alhamdulillah I had um, friends around me that Re well I had one friend particularly that really did try to prepare me like you know this is the reality of pregnancy it's not it doesn't it's not as romanticized as you think it is you know like you have your you hold, you try your baby for nine months or you get a few pains here and there it's not like that it's it, it can be very difficult for some people so alhamdulillah I had that but when I actually got pregnant I it was very very difficult like I had really really bad morning sickness for like half of my pregnancy I I then um was suspected to have preeclampsia at the end of my pregnancy I had to be induced what well, I didn't have to be induced they encouraged me to be induced and then I ended up having a c-section so 
even that experience and then talking to one of my friends who was studying to be a midwife at the time and she was like you know you didn't have to like go along with that you know you didn't even have to have the induction at that time she was just telling me all this and I was like oh wow I didn't know all of this stuff and then fast forward to um, me having my second child and just feeling really unsupported as a black woman as a Muslim woman and um hearing the experiences of my friends and the experience of one one of my friends in particular how she was just feeling really really pressured by um the midwest that was supposed to be supporting her and really felt really unheard and they weren't really doing a job to really investigate like the backgrounds of some of her concerns i was like you know what this is just getting too much and then even hearing the, the statistics over the years of like okay, black women are five times more likely to die um, in labor and, you know, in the six weeks after giving birth and just constantly hearing that. And I was just, every time I heard these statistics, every time I heard the, you know, disparities on the issues within the maternity care, with, within maternity care in the in UK and in America, it just made me sad. And then um, I was like, I have to do something. I have to do something, but what can I do? What can I do? It wasn't until NICE, the National Institute for Health, and care excellence proposed that black and brown women should be induced at 39 weeks so that's a week before their due date um purely on the basis of the fact that they were black and brown not because of any medical reason but the the, the fact that they are black and brown and i was like no 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 this is this is this is the straw that breaks the kind of that and this was the time when you know all the black life matter stuff was going on yeah, yeah, like yeah. everybody was really really trying to think about how they can help black people how they can amplify their voices and you know the statistic of five times more like five times more was brought up again and so they were trying to investigate and see what how they can make um the maternity maternity care better for black um and subsequently brown women um and this is what they came up with and this just shows the racism this just shows the laziness this just shows the institutional problems that are within the medical system um not only amongst black and brown women but amongst women like in general because it wasn't just black and brown women they were saying that it was saying for women who have high bmis for women who have other issues as well so i was just like no 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 this just shows that we can't constantly wait for these people to fix our problems we can't because when will it be enough like is it going to be enough when okay one of my sisters dies when they're in labor or afterwards is it going to be enough when one of my children go my child goes into labor and something happens she's not listened to she's i was just like no it's, there has to be something that we do for ourselves you know and i'm not saying there wasn't people that were doing something but i didn't see myself in any of those initiatives i didn't see myself in any of those campaigns so i said you know what i'm going to do something for my for my sisters because my my issue is and uh, my concern is it isn't the sisters it's all of them it's everybody but my concern is more for those sisters that don't know they go into they go into the um hospitals they go into you know clinics and they don't understand like okay yeah that you have to kind of be on guard as a black woman as a muslim woman as an other woman because of a lot of us come from immigrant you know backgrounds we have the mentality you know that they're doctors so, we, yeah, we that they know what they're doing. They say, yeah, 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 you don't question. You give them so mm -hmm. much you don't respect. Yeah. Yes, the respect is now an issue. The, what you mentioned about being induced and stuff like that, you know, this is mm -hmm. something that they do just so that they can rush you through the hospital and get you out. Yeah. 
remember when I gave birth to my um, son, his temperature was a little bit high. I've actually given birth to him in the house, but then I had to go into the hospital for him, and I was there for a few days because his temperature was a little bit high. And I met a sister in there, a Muslim sister, and she had her third um, C-section. And subhanAllah, literally the next day, they was, they was pushing her to get out of bed and to walk around. And, and I just thought, like, I said to her, like, how do they expect you talking about the place mm. and you just had a major operation oh, but i think it's it's having that understanding because even if, if even in their report that in terms of induction a lot of them are unnecessary and a lot of these people that are having unnecessary induction are black and brown women and we have to say because induction a lot of us have lost that cultural understanding of how the education around birth is not the same because even when you think about a thing how you give birth like in Africa or in Asia it's a community thing a woman doesn't go through pregnancy alone it's a community thing whether it's your neighbor even if your parents your family's not there your neighbors your community they know you're pregnant they're gonna look out out for you you know they're gonna look out for you they're gonna make sure like okay do you need help is this done is that done it's a community thing even within our cultures, there's specific foods for pregnant women. But a lot of that is lost when we move, you know, through moving to this country, moving to the West. And then me as a, like, a second generation, like, um, immigrant, I've lost that culture even more, you know? So I think a lot of us, we need to educate ourselves on, you know, what, is, what does a healthy pregnancy look like? What does, uh, what does a natural, what does a birth look like? What should a birth what type of birth do you want you know I think as a lot of us we really need to reclaim birth for ourselves because we've been we've been traumatized by our society through books films media that labor is something to be feared it's not something to be feared it's very natural you know it's something that should empower you it shouldn't be something that causes you fear because that in and of itself can have negative effects on the, your labor because you're scared you're tense you the hormones that should be produced are not being produced because because you have that fear, you know. So it's very important for us to reclaim our birth, to gain the correct knowledge, and to be able to advocate for ourselves and say, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up, one second. Like you're not listening to me because the reality is black and brown women are not being listened to, and as a result of that, many of them are dying. Even today, even today, I saw. This um, about an American woman who um, she died as a result of complications to do with endometriosis, which is a condition where um, tissue similar to the um, lining of the womb goes in different places. So, for example, the ovaries and the fallopian tube. And she was having pains and she had cysts. And for months and months, she was complaining, complaining, complaining. And it wasn't until she requested for an ultrasound that they found an 11 centimeter cyst on her ovaries, 11 centimeter cysts on her ovaries. And they were like, to her, okay, don't worry, follow it up with your doctor, follow it up with your doctor. And then later on, they had to rush her in for surgery and she died. So I do, it's like, we need to, we, we as a community need to open our eyes and not think, okay, yeah, 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 it's hearsay. It's not hearsay, this is the reality, that we are not being listened to. So it's important that we make sure we're being listened to, but in a way that we, it comes way of not knowledge not just oh yeah i i'm gonna demand and you're rude and you're uh, no come respectfully with knowledge because a lot of these people assume that because you wear hijab badly that you're not intelligent 
that you're not educated. And a lot of them don't understand that a lot of us were born here. It's not like we're foreign. We're not, it's not like we're others. We exactly. were born here. We were raised exactly. here. Even like, I remember one lady, and like, this is what the issue is because they don't see that they're, the problems that they have because she said to me oh and it was very innocent she said to me your English is really really good like um how long have you been here and I was like what I was born here can you imagine she wouldn't ask someone that was white that question but because I was wearing a jilbab I was wearing a nephab you assume that I'm not from here and that can have very because you're making assumptions now. Yeah. And that can have implications on the care that you did to me, whether you like it or not. So it's important that these biases are highlighted and they understand that, okay, I may have some biases that are causing me to, to impair my vision when it comes to treating this patient. And also we need to do work within our community to treat the trauma that we have. Because a lot of people will not go to the hospital when they should. I've heard so many stories of sisters saying, oh, no, 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 I don't want to go to the hospital. I don't trust these people, da, da, da. And that is dangerous in and of itself. Because when you need their help, when things are seriously wrong, you're not going to go. And that's, it's very, very scary. You know, that's not how we are as Muslims. Everything is supposed to be like a communal effort. And that helps people to, you know, feel stronger as well, stronger together, not just you by yourself. So, mm -hmm. sister, if you're business, what is it that you're offering sisters or Muslim women, um, you know, so they can have like a better birthing experience? Well, alhamdulillah, we're still in the process of building birthing one Muslim out. Um, but my goal and aim is to create a community. So we have it, we're inshallah, to have events for sisters. Because my thing is correct knowledge. Because we live in a time where Everything is microwave. Everybody's, you know, a professor. Everybody knows something. And that's not what I want. I want quality. I want people to be able to access knowledge from people who know what they're talking about, like legitimately, not people that, you know, you know, have. that's why I try, for now, I stay away from like putting like educational things out there because I want it to come from someone who's like sat down and actually done the work and has, you know, who has that knowledge. So um, we're going to have events inshallah ta'ala where sisters can come together you know um create that community and find people to um, bond with and support them during this time also education so um, again some more events to do with that inshallah so that's something to look out for in the future inshallah ta'ala yeah. and that's that's how i really want to move forward with the muslim inshallah ta'ala but if this is want to find me in the meantime i want to join the community now you can find me on instagram at bethlehem muslim i also have a um whatsapp group so just dm me if you want to be a part of the whatsapp group where the lovely lovely system there like that support one another so if you would like to be a part of that let me know you can just dm me at bethlehem muslim as well inshallah ta'ala so that's the way um, sisters can join the community, join the conversation, and yeah, inshallah. Inshallah, that's brilliant. So, I will inshallah put the link to the um, your um, Instagram, inshallah, in the description box so that people can DM you and get in contact, inshallah. So, sister, um, what would you advise those who want to wear the nakar but they don't feel the confidence to wear it? Oh, I think my first advice is make sure your intention is correct 
purify your intention constantly, purify your intention. Like, it's so important because, firstly, you're doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You want to be awarded for it. So make sure your intention is pure. Um, and then I would also say knowledge. Ground yourself with knowledge because it will help you when times are hard. It will help you when, you know, somebody says something to you in the street. It will help you, you know, when you ha- you may face adversity from like your family or, you know, when you're trying to get education or a job and you're turned away. Like really, really ground yourself with knowledge and find sisters to find sisters in your in your community to support you. And if that's difficult, because I know not everyone is blessed to live in a place that has loads of Muslims or in a Muslim country, I would say go on the internet. Like there's so many people that are really willing and they want to help you. So I would say find a community that will support you and you don't even necessarily have to talk to them on like in, on the internet or anything but just like posts they might you know put beneficial posts out there just to encourage you and I would say just go for it like practice like go outside of your house put it on one day and see how it goes like and a lot of people they don't realize that you have to find a niqab that you like it's yeah. not just any niqab you can pick up and wear you have to try trial different niqabs because not everybody likes to wear the same one so buy a few different ones if like it might be difficult financially for you do one by one yeah and trial them out because for example me i don't like feeling niqabs it's not really like my thing i don't really like them i just think it's too much of a it's too fatty i prefer one layer niqabs that's my preference i know obviously that they only wear feeling niqabs that's what they do so you have to really trial and error and be open to like different options in terms of your naqab and I would say also yeah make a lot of dua make a lot of dua that Allah places ease in it that Allah just for everything like just places ease in it grants you righteous companions keeps you firm constantly constantly make dua and remember like this is not that this we're only in this dunya for you know one thing like we're not here to do anything else Hit the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So remember that we're not going to be here forever. So any child that you're in, it will pass, inshallah. So that's my advice, inshallah ta'ala. So finally, sister, what does the naqab mean to you? The naqab means to it is a reminder. The naqab is a reminder of so many things. It's a reminder of tawheed. It's a reminder of the sahabiyat that came before us. It's a reminder of so much, you know. That's what it is to me. It's a reminder of my Islam in a place where, you know, people are far away from Islam, far away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a reminder. That's what it is to me, a reminder. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Definitely, it, it is a reminder, alhamdulillah. Um, Jazakallah khair, sister. Thank you so much for joining us today and giving us so much of your time. It's been a really lovely conversation, alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khair for hosting this amazing podcast. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala place in it and reward you for taking out your time to do it. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.